And welcome. Got another great handicapper for uh, for you to talk about of angles and uh, and everything about racing. And one of my favorite people in the world, Michael Baychuk. Um, I'm very blessed and lucky that I have uh, a lot of really. I, it's not about the quantity of friends; it's the quality of friends. And Michael Baychuk is right there. And let's get right to it. Let's get Michael Baychuk in here and talk about his magic carpet ride. Michael, welcome. Hey, Bruno. How are you? The magic carpet ride. All right. Let's take another ride down, down yeah, memory right. lane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's, the, the one thing I, did, I mentioned is that I met you in 2011, and 2012 was a magical year for you. Oh, I mean, it was, you know, one of the best years of my life, for sure. Just the adventures, winning the the contest was, you know, kicked off so many new adventures and uh, new relationships and and uh, uh, that I've kept to this day. And it, it's just it was the beginning of a of a of a new chapter uh, in my life. And I'm still kind of living it to this day, eight years later, which is quite amazing. I have to give you a lot of credit. Um, that whole success at the NHC never got to your, never got to your head. You still fit indoors. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you, you, you're just a really, you know, which is really interesting because a lot of people know Michael Baychuk, the handicapper. Well, how about Michael Baychuk, the businessman? Tell us a little bit about what you do and how did the NHC championship and being an, an Eclipse Award winning handicapper affect your own business? Well, so what I do, as I explain to people, is I do political advertising and strategy for campaigns, um, which could range from a city council race in New Orleans to a presidential race, for example, um, which we just finished with. So, I mean, we've been doing this. I've been doing that since, um, well, for, for, for 30 years. Uh, so, you know, we give campaign strategy advice and we produce uh, advertisements that people, you know, obviously don't want to see on their television and in their mailbox. But that's kind of that's what we do to kind of convince them to vote for our candidate or, you know, as 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 it happens nowadays against the other candidate, which is, you know, a little distasteful even to me because I know people don't like to see that kind of stuff. But but that's what I do. I'm not sure that the winning of the NAC affected the business, although it created, again, some new relationships. And sometimes I get from a from a client after working with them for two or three months, you know, and they'll they'll probably do like a little Google search or something. And somebody else, you know, they'll they'll throw a little quip into well, so you think I can win, but who do you think is going to win the race at Churchill Downs or something like that, you know, which will usually catch me a little bit off guard. But um, I haven't really turned, you know, that part of my business into a racing business. There's just not a lot of space, apparently, for people that, that do what I do, advertising and uh, consulting and strategic thing. It's very tight knit group at the top of, of horse racing industry. Um, I've tried to break in a little bit, but it, you know, the door has been closed in my face quite a few times. Now I have got a chance to, to hang out with you and I got to meet James Carville. 
I understand he took you to the track a lot. He did. He did. He, the, the, the story uh, is that, uh, which is the truth, uh, when I was about 12 or 13, James worked for my father in Baton Rouge as a lawyer. But what James really did was help my dad with the politics of, of Baton Rouge and of Louisiana. Um, there weren't really political consultants, which is what I am back then. There were very, very, very few. It wasn't an industry. So James was kind of like their go-to guy to help run campaigns and stuff. And one day my dad couldn't, um, he had to be at a meeting or something for all day. And so he asked James, Hey, would you watch, you know, Michael James was, I was 12. James was, I think probably like 30 ish at that point. And he said, sure, I'll watch him. And he, and he said, but I'm going to the track. And my dad said, okay, whatever, you know. So James picks me up or I get dropped off at his apartment. And um, we go around town and we pick up his fellas and, and then we head to the track. And that was the first time I ever went to the track with these guys who were probably, you know, they're all like in their mid thirties, early thirties. And I was like 12 or 13 and it just, and then, so that kind of became a thing. Like we would do that, you know, every, almost every weekend, it would seem like for a while. And then my dad, I think kind of got a little jealous that James <laughs> was spending so much time with me. And uh, James was like our older brother. We would take him on trips and things as well. Um, and then one time my dad went to the track and, and, and he, uh, he, he loved it too. So it became something that, you know, which is a common story between uh, how people get to go to the track. You know, it's something that my dad and I shared and we did a lot of. We traveled all over, you know, the country, basically. He owned some horses. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we found a, a common bond and something we shared that was just the two of us. And it was special. And so that's kind of how I got into horse racing. And Carville really didn't ever amount to anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to say this about James. Uh, again, I've known him now for 40 years, um, 45 years. If you think about Bruno, you know, how the shelf life of celebrities, and he's turned into a celebrity. So he made his mark in his industry in 1992. And he, when he elected Bill Clinton to president, um, and he is still relevant, very much relevant in the political industry today. I mean, like he might be the most relevant, you know, uh, editorialist or commentator that we still, that we have in politics, whether you like him or don't like him. I mean, people want to know what he thinks and, you know, it's just amazing. And, and he works very, very, very hard at it. And he's just He's one of a kind. I mean, he's, as you know, he's just, but he's also very, very, very good at what he does. And uh, he's just. He was a pleasure to me. I never would have guessed. If you never would have told me who he was, I would have said, what a nice man. What does he do? <laughs> you know, never would have known that I was the James Carville. And I'm, I'm guessing he was uh, marketing for Bill Clinton. He was the campaign manager. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. He was built. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He didn't amount to much. He, no, uh, yeah, he, if you, there was, they made a movie out of him, out of it. And, uh, you know, uh, the, I think it was the war room and Billy Ray Thornton or whatever that guy is. He played Carl. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I could see that. Yeah. You see, see that. that. Yeah. 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 No, he, Just like I could see Brad uh, Pitt doing Fauci. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. That was perfect typecasting. Right. 
And by the way, there is a Wesley Ward first-time starter, a Wesley Ward two-year-old that's going to debut soon named Fauci that can run. Really? Yes. Well, you know, I guess I don't know what the timetable is for, like, naming all these horses and everything, but, uh, you know, you follow along, and there's going to be a social distancing. You know, there's, there's going to be all sort of coronavirus and COVID names coming up probably next year. I'm surprised they got Fauci in so early, but – uh I need to get you and Carville into a horse with me, and we need to call it Gray Chuck. <laughs> I've gotten him into – he's gotten into a couple. He's not he, – he got into one, a little partnership I put together five or six years ago, um, and the horse was called Good If It Goes, and uh, Al Stahl trained it, and James was a part of it, and it was – the stable was That's Me Racing – and we just had a grand time. I mean, we really had a really good time with that horse. And, but that was it. I mean, we didn't, we didn't do it again. I think, you know, life. You and I have talked about it with James a few I times. I know. He'll do it. I mean, yeah, you, we'll do yeah. it. We'll figure it out. But, hey, I wanted to uh, – let me uh, – one further question, follow up on what you do. Have you learned anything from racing that now you use in your political marketing and uh, speech writing, I'm, I'm also guessing? You know, I think it's pro- they're, they're very complementary. Um, there's a lot of data anal- analytics in campaigns, much, much, much more so today than even four years ago. So, let, you know, you're reading market research, you know, 20 years ago, a poll. Um, so you're gleaning insights from what, what the data is showing you and making predictions about, how voters are going to behave. Well, you know, you can easily see the similarities between you're reading a racing form, it's data, and you're making predictions about how a horse is going to perform. So they, you know, they were very complimentary back in the day. And of course, both industries, racing and politics, have gotten very data dependent. Um, I'm not sure that's a good thing for either, you know, for the handicapping part and for the political part. I just... I think there's much more art involved in both. And I think we tend to diminish the art of handicapping, the art of political consulting um, more for look what these numbers show us. And uh, I fall into that trap a lot. Um, I think you and I have talked about that. And so, but they're very complimentary. You're analyzing data in both, you know, both, uh, both places and you're making predictions about, you know, uh, future events. So, you know, I think they're very complimentary. Yeah, I, I like to give out a four-star work for uh, for a political candidate. That's my thing. You know, <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the interesting part about what you do and and having met Jimmy and and I never really quite got into it and asked him any questions. But uh, what you guys, what this game does, it's very much about camaraderie. It's very much about who you talk to and information you get. Um, and there's so many things in life that you can learn from racing. And, and, and a lot of people sometimes just, you know, if you tell somebody, Hey, yeah, I, I work with horses. I pick winners or I, I, you know, I, I try to pick the winner in a race. They look at you like you have three heads, <laughs> like they can't wrap their head around it. Is it the same for you when pe- when you tell people what you really do that they can't really wrap their head around it? Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> yes. So you know, sometimes uh, depending on the 
the situation, let's say it's at a social event and I've never met somebody and they ask, well, what do you do? Uh, I, I'm usually very hesitant to say I work on political campaigns. I'll sometimes just say I do advertising. I have an advertising agency, which is the truth. I do. I mean, that's what we, we are an advertising agency. We just specialize in politics because you just never know. And, and especially in today's environment, I'm not, I don't want to get into a, uh, an argument, a philosophical, right. I mean, even yeah. or a discussion really when I'm at leisure, I'm not, I really don't want to talk politics, you know? Um, it's just, that's not, that's what I do all day. So it's, I really don't want to do it when I'm, you know, out meeting somebody for the first time, but you're absolutely right. You get, you know, Oh, so who do you work? So you work for, what party do you work for is usually the question. Uh, you know? oh, oh, yeah. And that's what and I know. you could tell by the like, indentation usually, of their voice. Yeah, exactly. That's why I usually say, uh, cocktail, you know, can I, let, <laughs> let me go to the bar. I, I, you know, I just, I don't want to get into that. Um, and, you know, look. We get that as handicappers, too. Oh, well, you tell somebody, you know, especially around Derby or Breeders' Cup, you know, and you get the, oh, who's going to win the, who's going to win the Derby? And you know, if you give a guy a horse a month before and you change your mind, that guy will never let you live it down if, you know, if you did change your mind and if you got it wrong. That's all they remember. They don't remember anything else. No one remembers and, Animal Kingdom. Oh, Nobody. No. You know. Oh, no, but everybody had them. <laughs> but right? everybody, everybody remembers. Everybody freaking had Everybody them. remembers uh, Frosted, who ran, you know, who, who ran fourth, right? I mean, they don't remember, you know, Animal Kingdom. So, yeah. But, but the amazing thing about Animal Kingdom, everybody had them after the fact. And he still paid forty two dollars. Right. I That's always right. laughed at that. Everybody's got it. And yeah, if I'm, you know. But anyway, um, let's talk about handicapping. So in 2012, you won the NHC, and I remember like it was yesterday. Um, it was special for you, and it also was special for me because you. I, I felt like you and I had you know, accomplished something. That was just my thought. And there was a reason behind it. Now, I want to I pry into your handicapping. And I want you, it's just me and you. Nobody's listening. Okay, <laughs> no, but just me and you. And um, actually, that's really true right no, now. Because true. we're recording this. Right. There's nobody listening. <laughs> you know, not now. <laughs> um, but tell us a little bit about um, what, what drives Michael Baychalk's handicapping and do you have a couple of angles you follow yes so and if i could just stick to those angles i'd be much more successful uh from a return on investment but that's very that i don't have the discipline that's part of one of my issues um so i've always been interested bruno in workouts and i can remember even back in like the the mid 80s you know i would take the racing form I would go through the workouts and then I would, you know, try to compare who worked with who either by trainer and or uh, by trainer and say, well, I think these two horses worked with each other. This horse was breezing. This horse was handily from the gate. I mean, it was a very rudimentary, simple analysis, but it turned it turned up some really nice winners because no one else was doing it right and so then, you know, I didn't know that, you know, there were actually services that provided workouts until I came across you somehow. Um, I'm not sure how uh, now. I just popped right out of the ground. Yeah, you just popped right up, <laughs> luckily for me. So I started buying, I think, your stuff 
2011. That's correct. And we had some, you had some really great winners, and it just you know it kind of got me back to you know the workout based handicapping, which was a big part of where I was early in my you know development. But you did all the work. Um, but I did a little more deeper work with some of your, some of your, uh, some of your comments. Um, so anyway, I, and and let's 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 just we can actually frame that particular moment. It was Thanksgiving weekend, and I think it was a Sunday, and I was in the press box at Churchill Downs. Now that it's called a mansion, you know, upstairs, and it's around eight o'clock at night. And you call me. And I think we had had a really big first-time starter win for, for uh, Bernie Flint that paid $69. And I'll never forget those words you said to me. Since I've been doing, using the workouts, my handicapping has gone up tenfold. That's true. I'll never forget that conversation. You know, we were the only people left in the press box. Yeah. Um, and lo and behold, two months later, you use two, two months some later, of that knowledge. Right. So two months later, and, uh, I, I used a horse as an optional, uh, play in the NHC contest that was 45 to one, I think. Yeah. Yes. 45 to one first time starter that you had a really good workout and a good comment on. And so I used the horse, and not only did I use the horse in the contest, my brother and I bet the hell out of the horse. I mean, we, we you know, because we were, I mean, we were, all, we're, that, we're gamblers, right? And so we got information. I mean, we're gambling. And so we bet the horse. We had the exacta, and he paid 90 something dollars. And I know people, you know, are like, oh, well, he won just because he picked, you know, they're picking long shots out there. And, you know, that's just not true. It does get to be true. Um, later in the contest, you know, when people are stabbing, but this was on day one um, and it was early. So, you know, I mean, you had the information. I used the information. I picked the horse and it was a maiden race and the horse won, you know, 45 to one. And obviously I I wouldn't have won the contest without the information. And And that was a maiden first time starter. So how does that tie into your angle? So, um, where I have found the best success uh, over the past few years is betting. This is going to sound very odd. And maybe this is why uh, I'm able to find some prices and value in betting maiden claimers <laughs> made. And not only just maiden claimers, but first time starters at maiden claiming races. And the, the, even the better angle is narrowing it even more down the smaller, the track, really the better the angle is um for example if you have a maiden claimer 40 at Gulfstream, i'd much prefer to bet a maiden claimer 10 at tampa with a first time starter and the angle is and 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 one you know a lot of people just they uh, they they just shut the racing form on those type of races i mean they're like oh my god maiden claimers these are the worst horses on the grounds usually they are which 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 is why the angle works is because I found that when a dam of a first time starter has either a won her first, her first race, B her foals 
a few of her foals have won their first race, first time start. And C, the trainer is just okay with first-time starters. And you and I have talked about don't really ever look at a trainer with his stats with first-timers. If, if you can check those three boxes, that's a very strong play. And usually that play is at big odds. And what you find is you're running against horses that are proven losers. They're just bottom-of-the-barrel losers. And so this is really an unknown quantity. And if you just have a little bit of uh, precociousness with the mama who won, better yet if she won at two years old, that's even better. And then she's thrown a foal that has won first time out. Those two, check, check. I'm, I'm all in. I mean, I'm just, I just bet yeah. it blind. What kind, of, even... what kind of back, what, how do you keep your information? Okay. You... So this is another key. And this is why, again, I think why pro- you probably get a few more. You there? <laughs> I'm still here. My, my boy, my uh, little husky yeah. here, Joe, just pulled the whole studio down uh, off the table. <laughs> he, doesn't want, he doesn't want people knowing about the maiden claiming angle. So. No, he's like, oh, don't, well, don't tell, tell anybody. So yeah. there's only one place that I'm able to pull that information. And it's only on race day. And it's with Twin Spires. And if you pull up their, their program, you're able to click on the dam. So, I mean, right, you know, I can look right now. At Will Rogers, Maiden Clayman, race six, 20 minutes to post. People won't get this. Don't worry, there's no play here. But there's a horse, there's one first-time starter in this race. And you click on the dam of the six, and you can see that in the dam's first start, she ran as a two-year-old. She finished out the money. She finished 10th. She's thrown four foals. Only one has run third one time. So this would not be a horse that I would say, oh, I got it. This, this horse definitely does not check any boxes for me at all. Um, so that would not be a horse. But on the, on the other hand, let's say this horse, the dam had run as a two-year-old and ran second first time out. And then she had four foals and one won and one ran third. Well, that would, that would be a horse I would probably be a little bit more interested in. And I would look to the, the trainer just to see, does he have any success? I mean, you know, is he 0 for 42 or is he like, you know, um, 8% with 20 starters, something like that. In other words, if he's done it or she's done it before, the trainer, I, I usually check that box. So, I mean, it's, it seems to work, again, at the lower levels, a, a Gulfstream 40 claimer, you know, where you've got Pletcher dropping some maiden specials down in there. You know, those horses, it just doesn't seem to work as well at the higher, higher levels, you know. Um, but, you know, Laurel and Tamp, Tamp is the honey hole. Uh, <laughs> it really is. And, uh, but Will, look, Will Rogers Downs has, has it, it, there's, over a, there's the a horse's name right there, the, uh, right? But Will Rogers Downs, my ROI there during the pandemic is, I mean, it's it's obscene because I've hit like three or four first time starters, and one of them was forty four to one. Um, you know, it's just again, you're running against some really, really bad horses and you basically are betting the only horse in the race that's not a proven loser. So, you know, um, that's an angle. And I, look, I mean, I hit, a, I hit that angle at the, at the, at the NHC this year. Um, I usually look for those horses at the NHC because other players are not playing those horses. 
So that makes them even more valuable to me when I, when they do come in because there's fewer people that are hitting them. Um, but they're, that's just that angle to start looking for, you know, if you're, if you're trying to find something and you usually steer away from a maiden claimer, um, you know, it's, it's, to me, I would steer your steer into those, into those situations and try to find horses that are at least, at least, you know, five to one or more. I certainly would not be advocating playing these types of horses at, you know, two to one or five to two or even three to one. You're trying to find, you know, the value. You're trying to find horses that are 10, 12, 15. Don't be afraid if they're 25 to one, because I'm telling you, they come in. They just do. Um, they just do. I, I think it's interesting what you just brought up, brought up because sometimes I get into discussions with handicappers about um, tournament players, about workouts, because they you – you ever go listen to some of these handicappers and they talk like they know everything about workouts. You know, they get a workout report and they – they really, really talk a lot of garbage. Uh, <laughs> one day I walked into a seminar at, uh, at the expo, and it was two tournament players. And I happened to walk in right when one of them said, yeah, well, you know, I get the Bruno's workout reports, but he doesn't have all the horses on there. And, you know, I just kind of look at it that, you know, if he doesn't have all the horses, I can't really make a decision. And then the other guy says, yeah, you know, a lot of clockers, they don't, you know, when they write about turf horses working on the dirt, they're not taken into account. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm just shaking my head because I'm like, these guys have absolutely no clue. They almost act like they know better than, you know, if we don't like a horse in the morning, he's not doing something we like. It's not because we're, we've been there every day. You watch him every day. There's horses that are going to fool you. And there's horses that are not going to do, you know, put out in the morning. Especially some of these horses that go half miles. The half miles are, are, are works that you, you really can't tell if a first-timer can really run until he goes five-eighths. Or he moves from the gate. And then, again, you've got to then figure out the competition. So, a lot of the times, I think you and, and understanding... Maybe not fully understanding and, and knowing everything about clocking, but understanding what you're looking for. You are way above and ahead of, of some of these arrogant handicappers who pick up a, a workout report from another, you know, uh, vendor and think they know. And they don't. Well, I know that I don't know a lot of things. I, I, do, I do know one thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I know back in 2011 and 2012, uh, there was basically two workout reports available. Yours and and uh, the the California guy, uh, National Andy Tuck. Harrington, right? Yeah. And then when you went to Churchill, there was only one that was available for the Midwest. You know, now nowadays. There, you know, th there are a few more out there, uh, so more people have the information, but they don't have. What, what your value always was to me is reading the comments, not really the times, you know, or the or the or the rankings. You know, I wanted to know how the horse did it, 
especially there was a time in California, I remember there was a bias, a closer bias. I think it was Santa Anita. And I would just look at your comments and say, you know, if the horse popped the gate or something, I would not want that. A first time, these are first time starters, basically. Uh, you say, you know, a horse closed three lengths into, you know, another horse. Those, those were important uh, com- editorial comments for me uh, to use. So one thing is there's a surely a lot more workout information available. Even the daily racing form, if you don't buy their report, they're still putting more information in the form than they ever were. So more people have it, you know, maybe the, maybe the value of this maiden claiming, you know, quote unquote angle is that, I mean, it, it kind of takes a little bit of digging and it's a little bit more, you know, uh, subjective rather than objective. You know, the horse, he's not a B plus, you know, maiden claimer. He's, you got to kind of do a little bit of digging to see, you know, and make a decision whether he's going to, he or she is going to run well. Um, but always you're looking to get, you're looking to get paid because you're going to be wrong, of course, more than you're going to be right. There's a part of, of your angle that's going to be part of my feature on my handicapping angle. And my handicapping angle, I was a handicapper before I ever was a clocker. And it bodes well for my understanding of the form, understanding trainers, and then understanding what I'm seeing. And I will just tease it because this is going to be a whole show of my own to be able to talk about this. History is very important. And what you're talking about is history of the family, of the mayor, uh, even maybe the stallion and the, and the trainer. There was, if you remember, there was a horse. You probably remember the name. When we first got to Churchill and started clocking, we had some big works on a, a, a Jinx Fire horse named Arch Arch Arch. Mm-hmm. And he was debuting first time out. Well, there was another horse in there for Rusty Arnold. And the Rusty Arnold horse was a first time starter. Now, Rusty Arnold is a guy that usually gives his horses a race. He gets a lot of Watson Humphreys, homebreds, really well homebred horses that have been at the farm. And those are the ones that are really hard for some trainers to get going because they're more of a classic type pedigree. They're more, you know, geared up not to be precocious as two-year-olds at five and a half or six. However, this horse was came from the two-year-old in training sales, meaning that Arnold had gotten a ready-made horse. And he raced until he was 10, by the way. He's still running around recently. And he went off at 10 to 1. We loved what we'd seen in the morning. And he beat Arch Arch Arch. And they were both prices, and they paid really well and i also remember you getting a hold of me i think it's 2011 you getting a hold of me and saying you know wow it's a great call you know here's a trainer that's six percent first time out or eight percent first time out everybody's off of them but there was that little different part of history it wasn't a rusty arnold typical first time starter 
It was a first-time starter that came from two-year-old in training sales, meaning he was broken to be able to go fast, and he was broken to be able to be precocious. And he was. I remember he cost a, a, a quite a bit of money. So what you're doing ties into my angle, and that's looking at history. And my, my greatest example was a horse named Card Connection. When I was with, uh, on the Roger Stein show back in the 90s, in 1997, I want to say. And I loved the first time starter from the Jerry Dutton barn, Card Connection. He had had a number of works, five-eighths, three-quarters. He was ready. But Jerry Dutton was 0 for his last 22 with first-time starters. <laughs> and I gave him out on the show, and I remember right after that, people would stop me. What are you doing giving out a horse? The trainer is 0 for 22. You're, yeah, no way. Uh, no way. What they didn't realize is Dutton – all those other 22 other horses I had seen, they only went five-eighths of a mile. They didn't do much more. They were short. They were a furlong short. They weren't ready to run. They weren't telling Jerry, I got something here that I can pop first time out with. Jerry Dutton is a really uh, – uh, uh, and, and Jerry Dutton is a, a former – I think he passed away. He's a, I think he's still around. No, he's still around. He's an amazing person, amazing trainer. He developed Jerry Hollendorfer and, and Jeff Bondi. And both hmm. of those guys know how to win first time out. So I knew Jerry could do it, but also he trained the horse different. He trained the horse between horses, behind horses, in front of horses, breaking from the back and making a, you know, a late run, working from the gate. He didn't do that with the other 22. So knowing his history and knowing how he handled horse was seven to two on the morning line or six to one or something like that. Got bet down to five to two and one by five. He ended up burning $300,000 a stakes horse. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the times when people take, they, 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 they just take those statistics as absolutely in cement that, that, no, that, that is over 22. I can't do it without looking at the horse. And looking at the separate, it, it, each horse is an individual entity and each situation is different. And if you apply history to it and say, well, Rusty Arnold never gets two-year-old in training cell horses. So this percentage of 6% is, is not applicable. Also, also, I'll give you another one. Go take a look at Wesley Ward's first time start starter stats he's 30 some percent right right separate the two-year-olds at keeneland to the two to 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 the rest of the year and see what you get oh yeah i mean well you just you just take him out of keeneland and and like he's 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 not very good at Gulfstream, and he's burned. well he's won two races but mm. there have been three to five has he won two but he's burned a couple of three to five he's, uh, he's two yeah. for four he's at a 50 yeah. percent yeah. but if you take those two-year-olds out out of the equation, and you got a first-time starter at, at, at Saratoga. It's a different stat. Right, right. Well, I mean, look, this horse I gave out on Twitter a couple weeks ago, Red, Red Red Wine at Will Rogers, first-time starter, maiden claimer. People were shouting at me, well, the trainer was like one for 53 or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, 
I don't really care. I mean, right, there was right. only two horses in the race that are first-time starters. And, I mean, you know, here's his one. I mean, he's going to win one out of, you know, this this could be the one. It's sure. And it turned out it was the one. So, How much did he pay? Uh, that one was uh, 12 to 1. Yeah. And then I bet him right back because he, he ran him the week later and he paid another. Uh, I think he paid 12 to 1 a week later. Um, well, and here's the story. Yeah. People people don't realize when they start talking about ROI and they start talking about percentages, they'll say, well, this trainer wins 27% of the time. That means he loses 73% of the time. If you bet every single one, you, you know, you've got to bet every single one of his horses to be able to get that 27%. And the ROI, you have to bet every single one of those horses to be able to get that ROI. Right. So it's, if, the, yeah. it's the it's the we the people don't do that. No. No. Did this horse kick? I wanted to say I wanted I, I tried to not try to I, I attempted very weakly to claim the horse because he was a Louisiana bred, the wine horse, but uh you tried very weakly. Yeah, I did. I put I, I like I, you I texted, thought about it. No, I texted a trainer <laughs> and said, Hey, and he said, Let me check and I never followed up. But he went he won his second start by five, but he's a Louisiana bred. And he's running in Oklahoma, and it just uh, – but no one claimed him out of that race. He's two for two now. But um, – yeah, Well, yeah. yeah but you're it's right. a, it's but from you, an 80s song, is it? Red, Red Wine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was one of those small punk uh, uh, new wave bands. Oh, no, no. You, that, that was the cover. That was the cover of it. You're, you, um, it was the, uh, UB40. But, but, but I, think, I think somebody – I think somebody else – Neil Diamond in 1967. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. You're good. You're good. Um, I'm good with the Google. Uh... <laughs> um, no, but I, it's, 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 history is a big part of this game. And a lot of the times people don't realize how historical things work in this game. And, and I, I work hard at trying to, you know, be able to put them together. I believe strictly – you know, and looking at percentages in the last 14 days, not over the last year. And you'll find, for example, uh, some of Bill Mott's horses over the last week have been hammered at the windows. At Oaklawn, at Gulfstream, he had a first-time starter or second-time horse the other day. It was one, well, I think it was six to five at at, um, Gulfstream, nowhere. I I just, you just, if you... Pay attention. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Ah, I, I was almost, I didn't want to sneeze because, you know, that's social distancing stuff, you know. I got um, a mask on, so. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm alone here at home. <laughs> you know, I might get dirty looks from Joe. But, uh, you know, when you've got, you know, when you've got a trainer who's 1 for 30 or 0 for 25, and guys are just, well, he's a 25% trainer. No, he hasn't the last month. There was a great example. Uh, at the end of March, Clement went on a tear. Yes. He won like 50% of his races. Right. Going into this weekend, he had been 0 for 30 in the month of April. Mm. And, I, he run, and he wins with Gufo. Finally yeah. breaks it when he wins with Gufo. April was not good for Christoph. I will, I, I, I will follow up on that and give you another, uh, not angle, but just uh, – I agree with that 100%. There's a trainer right now that's very, very hot, and I was able to capitalize on just 
realizing how hot he was at Oakland. Chris Hartman, over the past uh, week, I think he won four races at Oakland, but he ended up – some of them didn't kind of figure, but he won the get-out race on uh, Saturday. Take, take charge, Doro. Yeah, we had him on top. You know, right. Uh, so, but he had won a race the day before. He had won a race the day before that. He had won a, uh, a couple at Will Rogers. I mean, he's going really, really good right now. I don't know why. Now, he's one of those guys, you know, that used to be a pretty high percentage guy um, probably four or five years ago. Uh, but he's gotten really hot, and I would just, you know, make note, follow. Maybe you want to follow some of his horses because he's. Uh, he actually had a horse run today. Um, he ran seventh at Will Rogers, but he's I'm going gonna good. I'm going to leave you with this. Yeah. I'm going to leave you with this. What I'm seeing is guys are more doing hit and miss, meaning hit and run. Meaning you'll get a barn that'll win four, five, six, seven races in a span of two weeks, and then go cold. And then another barn wins four, five, six, seven races in a week, and then they'll go cold. I don't know if it's on purpose. I don't know if it's just trying to keep, you know, the, the natives, you know, from, from rushing them, mm-hmm. you know, from getting restless and a guy winning at a high percentage over a long period of time. But I've seen that happen a lot since March 9th. And that coincides with the indictments of, of Jason Service and Jorge Navarro. A lot of guys hitting and running, hitting and running. A lot of guys win in bunches. Yeah, uh, Safi Joseph was like one for 20-something. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 the boom, The last boom. week, he's, he's kind of, it looks like he's got his mojo back a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. now. Well, we'll call it mojo. Whatever. Uh, that's right. Yeah. I, I won't call it mojo. Now, you got to look at those, right? I mean, he's dropping horses you know, 50% to get yeah. wins. Now that could be because he thinks no one's going to claim them in this kind of environment where people are, you know, hard, you know, it's just, there's just not a it's lot a, it's, of money. It's a poker. It's poker. It's hundred percent. He's bluffing. Yeah. And, but he's dropping yeah. these horses they, they figure for sure. You know, we don't see the move ups now, you know, you get a guy like Robert Diodoro and he, you know, he gets his horse dump on Saturday, I think it was, to run a lifetime. Who could never route. <laughs> and he wins like by five or something. I mean, and it was like 10 links back to the third place horse from the 12 hole. You know, sometimes you just got to shake your head. And, and those things, those types of situations. Oh, I have a better way. I, I just, get all my aggression out at one point. I'll just yell bullshit well, at the screen. Yeah, but it just you know, makes it, it so much harder. It makes it harder, you know, to wager. And and that's one reason why I do like the maiden claimers. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of shenanigans going on in those types of races. I mean, because the purses are so small. Uh, you know, the, 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 the trainers are dealing with horses that are not proven at all, except if they're proven losers. Maybe you get a more honest race there, but, you know, come on. I mean, a guy like Diodoro... He's done some amazing things with, with hay and oats over the past month. Magic carpet ride. Yeah. We started that with the show. We'll end with that. The Diodoro magic carpet ride for Dump. How about that, dump. Michael? Dump. Yeah. <laughs> dump. Yeah. I felt like a dump. I that. did. You know. But um, but Michael, it's always great talking to you. You too. Uh, how you doing? How you doing? Oh, How's do- you and your wife and your family doing? Everybody's healthy. 
so that's the most important thing. And we're just, you know, doing what we can to make protect ourselves and protect others and staying in until, you know, it's it we can go out. But it's going to be a long haul, unfortunately, I think. So um, we're in it together. Yeah. All right. Very Alone, good. but together. Yeah. I'm going to check with back with you soon. I want to have you back on soon. People love your podcast. The last one, I think we had over 800 listens. Um, so, uh, Michael, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Bruno. The champ. I was going to run Queen. We are the champions. <laughs> but I thought, you know what? Magic Carpet Ride sounds a lot better. And I love that we tied it all in at the end. We did. All right. Thanks, Bruno. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. And folks, thanks for joining Michael and I. I hope you're safe and healthy in your in your uh, social distancing and in your homes. And you have enjoyed this and uh, taken a given you a little bit of something to smile about.